Welcome to the Senior Dog Revolution, where we discuss how to give our senior dogs the best life they deserve, where age is just a number and health and happiness of our senior pets is a priority. Hello, senior dog pet parents. This is Dr. Monica Tarantino, and welcome to our podcast episode. So today is a really special episode. We are going to cover a topic that is actually one that you guys have actually asked me to cover for a long time now, and it's this concept of anticipatory grief. But before we launch into that, I wanted to welcome our guest for this episode, which is Dr. Brent Gordon. Welcome. Hey, everybody. Welcome. (laughs) So Dr. Brent Gordon, I have known him for 10 years and I will just say it already. He's my fiance. So you guys know that. That's right. She's taken. That's right. (laughs) So both of us have been counseling pet parents on this topic or things like this for about seven years now. And we have a lot to actually say about it. But the first thing that we need to tell you guys is that we are not licensed counselors. We are not (laughs) psychologists by any means. So anyone that's out there that is a psychologist, just don't judge us too hard. We're going to use the information that we have from our experience from having animals and working with people very closely that have animals to help you guys out with this topic. Yeah, absolutely. As veterinarians, we own all sorts of animals. We tend to pick up the island misfit pets type uh, animals. And so, <laughs> yeah, we tend to get the the oldies and the, the crusters. So we are pretty familiar with that loss of pets as well as, you know, in our line of work, we have to console people like yourselves who also are considering the loss of a pet too. So we've been on kind of both sides of this fence. So let's start out with just defining what anticipatory grief actually really is. Absolutely. So anticipatory grief is just the feeling of grief that occurs before an impending loss. So it could be the loss of a family member, it could be the loss of a pet, but it's that fear of, or dread or loss that you feel before the events actually even occurred. Right. And for me, when I feel it, it's a very repetitive feeling for me. So I remember with Frodo, I tend to feel it like day in and day out. I'd have this same fear, the same, same pain, basically just in my gut every day when I see him, especially when I saw him starting to actually lose weight. That was like the big thing for me. I remember actually being able to feel his ribs a lot more easily at one point when he was in his decline. And that was the part where I really started noticing that I started actually feeling this anticipatory grief every single day. And for, for me, it's it's something similar. I mean, it's I'll look at Becca and I'll see that her legs are just a little bit more unsteady and she's got a little bit more white in her face. And then my stomach just drops and I feel that sudden sense of like, well, we just probably don't have that much time left, do we? Right. And I think right now we're, we're both definitely feeling it with Becca. So Becca, as most of you guys already know, Becca is our 15 and a half year old Labrador mix. And she is, to be honest, just about as old as labs get. Like we feel that we are already on borrowed time with her. Yeah, we've been super lucky. Yeah. And so we know that it's coming up. And so this actually... This idea of talking about this with you guys was perfect timing for us as well, just to remind ourselves of what <laughs> to not do and what to think about when we're actually going through this period of time. With her. Yeah, it's a little bit of self-therapy too. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so hopefully it'll be helpful to you guys as yeah. much as it is for us too. Yeah. The really interesting thing to me as well regarding anticipatory grief is how it pertains to actually pets who have a shorter lifespan than most people in our lives. Yeah, it's very unique for them, actually. I feel like, well, anticipatory grief is, you know, it covers everything. So it's the loss of a family member, the, you know, the loss of a loved one, 
whatever it might be. But for pets, you kind of always have this knowledge that they're really not going to outlive you. They're not, they have a, you know, finite life. And you always kind of think about this clock ticking down. You know, I only have just X more years with them. And so I don't really think that a lot of people have that same experience when they're growing up and they think, oh, my parents are always, you know, they'll always be there. My sisters and brothers will kind of always be there. But definitely with pets, for every pet I've ever owned, we always kind of knew you're, we only have a few more years left or something like that. And then the closer that you get to that time point or the you know, more frequent you have those episodes of anticipatory exactly. grief. Now that we've actually defined what anticipatory grief is, we're going to split the episode into two parts. So the first thing that we want to talk to you guys about is our experience with Frodo, who was a Westie that I owned. I owned him since I was... 20, I think 23 years old, basically. And I went through anticipatory grief for the very first time with him. He was my soul dog. And Brent actually became really bonded to him once we met and started dating. Yeah, for sure. He was a very special little old guy for me, too. <laughs> he was really special. So we're going to talk about our experience with Frodo first. And then after that, we're going to talk about four things that we find really helpful when we're dealing with anticipatory grief. And hopefully those four things will help get you guys through this phenomenon as well. So I'm going to go ahead and start talking a little bit about Frodo and how we first came across anticipatory grief with him because he had a really big event in his health. So when he was about 12 years old, it was during our fourth year in veterinary school. And one morning, I remember I woke up and I found him on the floor panting really heavily and his gums are really pale. And fortunately, both Brett and I were going into the clinics that day. So we scooped him up threw our scrubs on, ran into the hospital. And what had happened was we took some x-rays and did some blood work on him. We found out that he was pretty anemic. And then we found kind of like the thing that had caused him to be that sick that morning. Yeah, because he was actually bleeding internally. He was bleeding into his abdomen. He had a mass or a tumor on his spleen and it ruptured. It was uh, very weak because of it. Right. And so he basically just had a very quick loss of blood that morning when I woke up and found him like that. And so he essentially needed surgery right away in order to help stop the bleeding and prevent this tumor that was on his spleen from continuing to open up and bleed into his abdomen. We had done a couple of things in terms of testing. We gave him a blood transfusion and we, after we identified there was a, a mass in the abdomen, we took him to surgery not too long after and removed the spleen with the tumor and sent it out to be reviewed by a pathologist, the people who look at tumors and tell us what kind of tumor it is. And they discovered that it was a form of cancer, an aggressive form of cancer potentially called hemangiosarcoma. And that was, you know, really tough news to get, but he did recover from the surgery really quite well and quite quickly and felt much, much better. Right. And so we, I could not afford to do chemotherapy at the time. I was just a vet student with tons of student loan debt. So that was not an option for, for me at that time. So the prognosis when you don't do chemotherapy is usually between one and three months for these guys. Yeah, it's a super short time period, which kind of brings up the idea of, you know, we thought he was getting older and we knew that at some point we'd have to deal with something, but being thrust into this situation, we were immediately presented with a really fast ticking clock. And we knew we had probably only a short period of time before we were going to lose him. And so that really carved out the rest of the year for me, because I remember that I would not leave him at home 
when I had to go away on externships, Frodo came with me to every single externship that I had because I was really nervous and worried that if I left him at home with somebody just pet sitting him, that he would pass while I was gone. And the really surprising thing about our Frodo story is Frodo lived for two and a half more years after this. Okay, so (laughs) we had a big emotional roller coaster with him. We did. It was a tough time, I think, because it really did present a situation where Every single thing that we did was expecting potentially that he could die within the next two weeks. And every time he would get sick or have a small issue or not eat his food, that creeping doubt of, is this the day? Is this the time? Would always come up and we'd always have a discussion and really think about what what do we do now? Can we wait on this? Or is this the time where we need to go in and get blood work and testing and you know, is this going to be the day or the weekend that we need to think about potentially euthanizing him? Yeah. And it was a, it was just a really scary time for us. So I would say probably we graduated about six months later and moved to Charlotte, took jobs here. Brent took an internship at a specialty hospital. I took a job in general practice. And it was probably at that time that I started to maybe recognize because he'd already outlived the prognosis for that particular type of cancer. I started to recognize that there was a possibility that the diagnosis of that tumor on a spleen may have been incorrect because typically if it truly is a mangiosarcoma, they don't last that long. And I don't know, there are a lot of different types of sarcoma tumors. And so some of them can look really close to each other. And I think that was kind of what I started to understand. However, I didn't know at what point he could go. So it could be any day. So then it was two years It was two years of anticipatory grief for every single thing that he did or we had been concerned about. And lo and behold, two years later of us, you know, constantly having sunken stomachs and, you know, that that horrible feeling of dread, a dread of us potentially losing him at every turn. You know, that and that building up that toll on us mentally because of that, that diagnosis, we had spent even more quality time with him. We had spent even more time trying to make memorable moments with him and figuring out ways to include him in trips and travel and all sorts of things that, you know, I don't really look back and regret those two years. I mean, yes, it was hard when we were going through it. And yes, there were many days where, you know, I felt pretty sad. But Despite the anticipatory grief, I really remember it as being, I remember it fondly. Yeah, I remember it as being a really good time with celebrating him. Frodo was celebrated his entire life, just so you guys, (laughs) just so we're clear. He was celebrated his entire life, but he was definitely cherished for the last two and a half years because we knew that his time would come at any time. So that was, I think, probably one of the benefits of recognizing that early on was the amount of quality time and the priority that we made him to be in our lives. We went through the process of being as informed as possible so we could feel comfortable with the decisions we were making. And for probably think for both of us, it probably helped with some of the grief and just just terms of knowing what we were kind of up against and it did. what we had to look forward to. It did. And just so you guys know, because I know I know a lot of you guys out there actually have your soul dogs. And I've talked about this before and I get teased about it sometimes by 
certain insensitive people will say, but this idea of having a soul dog and them being the one dog that means the world to you that you've connected with and bonded with them in a way that you feel like you'll never actually have that bond again. So I know a lot of you guys actually have that. Frodo was that dog for me. And he truly was. He saw me through moving to different states throughout my 20s, meeting new people, not having friends when I moved to new states. I didn't know anyone in certain areas. He saw me through breakups, through meeting Brent. He saw me through my dad actually passing away. And so the idea of actually losing Frodo after that was even, you know, I clung to him even more than I think I I normally would have just because of the loss that I had experienced at that time too. For sure. And I think everybody has probably somebody in their life that when they have a a love pet, there's a person there that will say, you know, well, they were just a pet or they were just a dog or they're just a cat. Well, trust us when we tell you they're wrong. Like we understand the feeling that you're going through. We understand that sort of grief that you you feel because we've been there because we experienced it. And it's just it's a shame that they don't get to experience the same love and the same gratitude for having a small furry friend in their life. But they're, you know, they're wrong in sort of telling you that it should you shouldn't be upset about it or that these feelings are feelings you shouldn't have. These are absolutely normal feelings, and it's absolutely okay to have them. Speaking about those feelings, let's talk about how we can better prepare ourselves for actually dealing with those feelings. Yeah, great. So Monica and I have created a list of four things that we have found that has been helpful for us in the past for dealing with anticipatory grief. So the first thing that we find helpful is going to be spoiling your dog and having quality time with them as much as possible. If you guys have heard any of my stories about Becca, who is the dog who we're currently experiencing some anticipatory grief with, we spoil this girl rotten. So Becca knows it too. If you guys saw what actually happened in our home, I think you guys would die laughing. Just to be clear, I spoil her the right amount and she (laughs) she goes way too far. Okay. She deserves it. Okay, that's it. So Becca, we put a lot of extra effort when it comes to time with Becca because Becca can't get up as well as the other dogs to come and say hi to us or to be a part of the family. So she can sometimes be found in kind of the background wagging her tail because the other guys are up front and they're a little bit more pushy. So Brett and I make it a point to go seek Becca out, spend quality time with her. We have this nightly routine now with her where we have this thing called couch cuddle time with Becca. (laughs) (laughs) If she'll allow it. (laughs) If Becca allows it. So most of our our big dogs, we have a total of four dogs. Three of them are 50 pounds or above. And one of them is a really little one. We can't control him. He's just allowed on the couch. But the rest of the big dogs are not allowed on the couch. Becca is not used to being able to go on the couch or go on the bed. And so we created this really special time with her in the evenings. Brent created it to be exact. (laughs) So he picks her up, puts her on his lap, and we just pet her and give her a massage while we watch, you know, a Netflix show. Yeah. And she, she loves it for about five minutes and then we do it for about 10 minutes and she's like, okay. She's like, get, I'm done with you guys. (laughs) We're like, we're not done Becca, but she's done with us. So we have developed little routines and little habits that we do that make her feel unique and special that I think really help the bond and help us spoil her as much as possible. Absolutely. And sometimes it's just as simple as like putting her first. Like if we are giving out treats to the dogs, I try and give the first one to her. I try and make sure that she has her, you know, her food ready first. I try and make sure that if we're, you know, walking the dogs and I'm splitting them up between the old dogs and the young dogs and I'm, you know, I have to walk them by myself, that she gets one of the first walk. If I'm going to pet a dog when I come in the door, she's going to be the first one. 
you know, and it's just because she's getting older and I want her to feel like she's special and I want to feel like she knows it too. Right. So how this helps with anticipatory grief is as you're getting closer and closer to that time where you you know you're going to lose your pet, you're, you're just getting that much closer, being able to look back and say, yeah, I did everything I could to make them feel special. Yes, I did every moment I could spend with them at any reasonable time was spent doing quality time with this pet. It makes those episodes of anticipatory grief just not hurt quite as hard. Right. You definitely feel as you're getting closer, at least for me, as you're getting closer to the actual time at which they're going to pass, that you're not regretting anything. Exactly. And it helps you because you're actually living in the moment. If you are spending all your time with your dog worrying about losing them, you're not going to be as present as you could be when you're actually with them and trying to spend that quality time with them. And then that brings us to the second thing that we find really helpful when dealing with anticipatory grief, and that is being proactive with your older dogs. Yeah. So it's just like I was talking about with Frodo a bit earlier. It did feel a lot easier to make decisions with having knowledge. So what I'm talking about is just knowing kind of what you're up against, going into the veterinarian, getting blood work, getting x-rays, doing whatever tests you feel like is appropriate at that time so that you know roughly kind of where you're at and you can take some of that unknown away because the the unknown is what just creates a huge gap where fear can fill in for that gap. And so the more and more we get information we get, the less you're going to be afraid about what's going on. I think a lot of pet parents will say to us at work, you know, what if it's cancer? And the answer to that is, well, let's find out. Right. You know, at least then you you can know, you can stop the worry. Exactly. And what I find helps pet parents the most that are in this situation is having the knowledge and being prepared. And those two things are key to helping reduce this anxiety that comes along with the possibility of losing an older pet. Yeah, it's just like giving a speech. The, the more knowledge and the more preparation you have before you give the speech, the less anxious you'll be about leading up to it. So that's exactly how it would work for anticipatory grief too. The exactly. knowledge and preparation really helps. Exactly. And that brings us to our third helpful tip when dealing with anticipatory grief, and that is maintaining perspective. The truth is that, as we talked about previously, we tend to outlive our animals and we already know this. And so making sure that you guys take a step back from the situation and just wrapping your head and recognizing that as just a normal part of life is really important. Even though it's a painful part of life, there's so much joy that actually comes with it as well. Yeah, I think it's a perfect kind of metaphor for life. Like having pets is a double-edged sword. It's so wonderful, but it also has that unfortunately downside. It's kind of awful at times when you think about how short the life is. But the, you know, we're putting a lot of weight on ourselves. We're, we're, you know, we're the only person in this room with you, you and the dog that is actually worried. Like the dog doesn't know it has cancer. The dog doesn't know it's getting unnecessarily getting older or has kidney disease. It just knows how it feels. And if it's eating and it's happy with you and it's comfortable and it has a nice big bed and a warm house and a clean environment, then they're happy. And so you're worrying for, you're worrying for two. You're doing double duty at that point. I mean, that's kind of inherent to anticipatory grief, but understand that, you know, if your dog is happy, you should be happy too. 
Right. And I think that you brought up a really good point because a lot of pet parents, what they actually do is they take all of this grief and this responsibility, they put it on their shoulders and it feels like they're carrying this giant weight around. Like they can't make a misstep when it comes to their older dog. They're just fearful that they're going to make a wrong decision and they carry that around. And I think that makes the anticipatory grief even worse because you've taken a lot of responsibility and put it on your own shoulders. And so it's almost like you've set yourself up so that if something, when your dog actually starts not feeling well, you essentially start blaming yourself a little bit for it, but there's going to come a point where that's going to happen and it's not going to be your fault. It's not going to be your vet's fault. It's going to be a part of life. And so I think maintaining perspective as far as that goes and taking that giant weight off of your shoulders and just trusting that you're going to make the best decisions that you possibly can for your pet when those situations arise is going to really help just relieve some of that stress from the anticipatory grief. Yeah. And I can't imagine a situation where you're going to do something that your pet isn't going to love you for. Like no matter what decision you make, you're not doing it wrong. If they're happy and they're healthy and they're comfortable, then you've, you've done it correctly. And if it comes to the point at which you kind of have to make the decision that you know, maybe they're not as happy anymore, maybe they're not as comfortable, and we're talking about quality of life, then I'm sure they'd be happy to understand that you would, if they could, they'd be happy to understand that you had provided them with a, a comfortable exit from the world. Hopefully that helps you guys kind of see what we're talking about when we say maintaining perspective is really important to dealing with anticipatory grief for our older dogs. The very last thing that we wanted to talk about, which is something that I think some people actually have some shame around, but we strongly encourage it, which is seeking professional help. So if you feel like you're actually suffering from anxiety over this, or you just find yourself waking up day in and day out with just this stress and this fear of losing your pet, I strongly encourage you guys to actually reach out to friends and family or to reach out to a counselor to start talking to them about it. There's no shame in that. This is a really difficult thing that we go through with our older our older dogs. And if you feel like you've, you've tried things and it's just not working and you just can't kind of get over it, there's absolutely nothing wrong with seeking professional help. And, and that can be just understand that your mental health is your physical health. They're one and the same. So please, if you feel like you can't get it under control, you feel like it's kind of getting away from you, you can seek help. And so whether that be professional help through a counselor or a psychologist, or it be by reaching out to a hotline, which does exist for pet parents that are going through anticipatory grief or have recently lost a pet, those are two really reasonable options. So there are several hotlines that are out there. I know at least one of them is free. I believe Lap of Love Hotline, which you can look up online, is one that has some grief counseling for owners that are going through what we were just talking about. There's also a hotline at ASPCA, as well as several other universities that you can look up and reach out to as well. So let's just really quickly recap the four different things that we've used before that can be really helpful when dealing with anticipatory grief with our older dogs. And the first thing that we talked about was spoiling them and increasing the amount of quality time that you can have with them and just really trying to be present in those moments that you're spending with them. Throw that grief and that worry away because it's going to interfere with your ability to bond with your with your older dog at a time that's really crucial for them. Yeah. Second would be being proactive and seeking as much information as you can. So it takes some of that unknown and that worry that extends from that unknown and makes it a little bit easier to handle because now you, now you kind of know what you're up against. 
And the third one was maintaining perspective when it comes to actually losing an older pet. We all know that the majority of them do not have a lifespan as long as ours. And so we should really try to step back, be thankful for the time that we actually have with them and try to take that weight that you put on your shoulders of trying to do every single thing right for them off because it's just going to bury you if you're carrying that around all the time. And then the very last one, of course, was seeking professional help when you need it. And I think that essentially sums up our episode. We want to thank you guys so much for actually being here with us. Special thanks to Dr. Gordon for helping out with this episode. I was happy to be here. And if you guys have any questions at all or any comments, go ahead and reach out to us through the website, www.seniordogrevolution.com. And if you have not done so yet, you can actually head over there and sign up for a newsletter that I send out, usually weekly, sometimes bi-weekly, depending on how busy I am with work. And very lastly, if you guys have not done so and you would be so kind, please leave me a review on Apple so that I can help find and reach more senior dog pet parents just like you. And that's it. So until next time we get to talk, I hope you and your senior dogs have a wonderful day. All content on Senior Dog Revolution is for informational purposes only and should not be considered as a substitute for any type of professional veterinary advice for your pet. Your dependence on the content of any information found on Senior Dog Revolution is at your own risk as nothing discussed or mentioned here can replicate a true doctor-patient relationship between yourself and a veterinarian. As always, for veterinary care and advice for your pet, please see your veterinarian.